Hello and welcome to the Junkyard Love Podcast. It is shocking to almost none who participate in the Western culture that the last few years have been filled with division, confusion, and disagreement across the board. Our society seems to be riddled with fear, blame, finger-pointing, and bad othering. This experiment of unity for the human civilization is bearing its teeth and backing into corners of walls that threaten to crumble when pushed against. As a participant in America myself, I am greatly confused. It seems we are meeting each other at our differences and neglecting the root of why we would ever strive to mend those differences. The fear-based systems of the human organism are constantly deployed against the enemy we see in our neighbor. The miraculous skill of language actively splits and becomes less precise as conversations progress farther from progress and closer to interior-based outward projections of our own traumas. Many of us have become wounded animal versions of ourselves but lack the wisdom to notice it. It is not new to note that when we hold up a mirror to ourselves, we see our flaws before our own beauty. We see our instant judgment in comparison to others much more quickly than we see an aging and changing organism of biology. Thus the beauty of reality is denied. What we think we are stands abruptly in front of the truth of our reflections. Has the ego evolved to be so foolish that it protects us from personal pain at every cost but the future of our togetherness as a planet? The ever-growing swiftness of technological advancement whisks us off of our feet and into a less humanizing version of conversation. The progress of the meme that condenses elaborate thought and complex meaning down to bite-sized entertainment has gripped tightly to Moore's law and threatens to shortcut us right out of the understanding we assume we know so well. As technology improves in a certain direction, the future of humans go with it. The fast intertwining of the computer data and human mind leaves much of the human behind. Our obsession with facts as a representation of absolute truth tramples the complexity of the human imagination and ability to love and seek beauty. As we try to condense, shortcut, and simplify the human experience, we bulldoze the ability to police our own limbic and nervous systems. We grow farther from the skills of observing thought and identifying with an overarching goal that stands outside of our group identity. The great hack that is underway in the zeitgeist of modern culture is precisely on task to simplify the human art form into yeses and nos, ones and zeros, us and them. Social media has changed the culture and direction we are going as culture. The addictions to technology as a way of communicating and thinking blinds us from our own validity and group reassurance thinking. The shortcutting of dopamine hits has begun to wire each of our brains to skip over self-reflection and sitting with ourselves. The pain of boredom seems harder to bear than the truth that we now all play a role in the future of mankind. As we fight over the king's throne and dig up mistakes of the past to tear each other down, the existential threat grows nearer. It is my belief that modern Western culture possesses a mind virus. A mind virus that uses our fear-based bodily responses and untrained egoic reactions to keep us immensely unaware of our own hand in the downfall of our futures. This way of thinking blinds us from seeing that it is parasitic and it spreads across our oceans to infect the minds of anyone with a phone in hand. 
a crisis of meaning is swiftly underway in the human psyche and the direction we march onwards to simply hopes to step over ever having to think about it. We consume more data than ever, and very few of us fully comprehend how to make sense of any of it. Actually, I feel that none of us possess the power alone to compute the data we assume we know so well. The time of human history to come together and attempt to understand what this data means strikes now. We are looking at each other all wrong. Facts, fiction, neither matters when there is none to argue it. Dear humanity, we have changed. The internet has quickened the building of something strange, and it is our duty as soul in a meat vehicle to attempt to understand what we are and where we should be going. The average man and woman can no longer afford to pollute the information oncology with the feedings that make themselves feel better at the cost of togetherness. We are each of the planet Earth, and none is promised. We must get better. We must not buckle down on our group identities and tribalistic comforts, but rather we must practice awareness. Awareness of what we are and what it means to search for meaning. The small mouth movements of the ape-like human form words that attempt to describe and decrypt something much deeper that we all have access to. The truth of the human heart and consciousness cannot be expressed with words alone in physical reality. We have to learn to look past the world and deeper into the essence of meaning and communication. We waste time by creating the reality TV show versions of problem solving. We must respect the gift of language by searching for deeper meaning within each word. We must choose to sharpen the ability to possess more than one perception in mind when deciphering the words of another of our brothers and sisters. The union we choose to participate in takes work, pride, courage and ability to change. Growth of the planet is at the hands of the human pilot and ignorance can be unwound with knowledge and change. To break the fever our society possesses, we must each look inward and return to a childlike mind. Why is it that we do the things we do? How is it that our individual truth is more true than that of our neighbor? How have we arrived at this truth and the truth before that? There is really nobody steering the ship. Our actions, conversations, and beliefs have consequences. The consequences control our perception of reality, and we bring that reality to each interaction with one another. Our leaders are infected with the same mind virus that threatens us average persons. We must work together and meet where we truly are to solve the problem of problem solving itself. We have to change the way we have been doing things, and that process, however messy, requires more cooks in the kitchen. The next conversation you have Ask yourself if you are holding both yours and the other person's perceptions in mind. Are you waiting for your turn to speak? Are you itching to respond with an argument rebuttal that will squash their truth? Are you actively listening and questioning your knowledge in order to fully allow theirs in? Are you afraid of change? Are you fearful of being wrong? Does your conversation style elicit emotional regulation? Is your facial expression contorted? Is your body language tensed up while the other person speaks? Do you help them to express their true meaning or do you attempt to stump them so you can win a small victory of words? Great problems require different types of conversations and deep understanding of one another's upbringing, backgrounds, language, fears, desires, and end goals. It is time to upgrade and expand our conversation skills as well as the awareness of our own human systems amidst our own conversations. 
Let us not allow things like texting and social media to push us to forget that words are simply the tools a human uses to express something much deeper. As our brilliant minds decipher at infinite lengths and speeds, let us not forget the purpose that love can serve with each interaction. Ask yourself if the mind virus of information is causing your sense-making apparatus to break down in real time by turning every word exchange into debate, argument, and bad other. In this series of episodes, Spencer and I will attempt to make sense of what is going on here to cause such great division and confusion amongst neighbors and fellow humans. We will stumble and ramble our way to formulating the questions that need asked and the answers that present themselves. We will try to police our own bias and emotional states, our own judgments, our own assessments, and our own blind spots. As new problems emerge for the human condition, we must present and practice new ways of conversation and problem solving. Neither of us claim to be fully right, to be the most educated, to know the most truths, nor to have the correct psychosemantic tools. But we embark on this multiple part series because it is difficult, important, and we just don't see many trying to meet the confusions from this lens of perception. Rather than claim the ability to educate the listeners, we hope to usher an individual epiphany by way of exploring and widening our own thoughts. These conversations will undoubtedly be messy at first, but as we determine the correct definitions and jump from stepping stone to stepping stone, we hope the path shows itself and the journey creates sparks of wisdom for different types of listeners at different points of their lives along the way. We have no grandiose ideas of being special, omniscient, or even particularly wise on the subject of sense-making itself, but we choose to pick up our swords and proceed towards the battlefield nonetheless. If individual sovereignty formulates group coherence and strengthens our human ability to process information and make sense of modern life's complexities, this is the way. Mr. Spencer. Jake. So today you and I are going to embark on what we think will be a multiple part series. Um, we've just spent the last hour, I mean, the really last couple of days texting back and forth, trying to figure out how to have this conversation, figure out how to, like, what are we even trying to point at here? Um, the word, the, the term sense-making it has been a huge uh, uh, brightness. It's, it's been kind of like the title, it seems. Um, so I think that what we're going to try to do here is actively think and stumble out loud into what we're trying to even say here, which doesn't sound really appealing to the listener. Um, here's what we're about to talk about. We don't know. Um, but I, I think that overall we both see different areas of division and um, incoherence in our information ecology and in our conversations and in the things that we put at the forefront of our um, attention as far as importance. We see kind of our, our system theories breaking down, our system um, not making any goddamn sense. Um, I, I want to, so, so, so what we're going to try to do here is this episode, I think will be kind of the beginning, the, the, the 
precipice of hopefully the other parts of this series, whether it's a five-part series or what, a um, few hours long each, a couple hours long each, whatever it needs to be, will start to formulate after this conversation. So this one I feel like is undoubtedly going to be messy, but we're going to try to stumble through it. Keep in mind, there's no rules to any of this. You know, nobody wrote a book on how to make sense. And uh, we're living in an unprecedented time of a shift structurally, the way we communicate as humans, our power structures are dissolving. You know, like this is with the information age and especially what is happening right now with the pandemic being like a non-specific amplifier of all things that were already problems. Like we're seeing such a uh, boiling up of all these uh systemic and endemic issues of communication and how we like arrive at truth and we're going to do our best to sift through that but i do not think that any one or two men or women could ever decisively answer the question no doubt and and there's also no grandiose ideas in my head and i'm certainly sure to agree that in your head that we're not like the best at solving this problem i am not a genius i am not someone who like studies all of these things um my entire life I, like I presented to you before, I think that I am a creative thinker um, and I'm trying to bring that lens to the table. Um, not a, not a I'm right and here's why I'm right and these people are wrong and here's why they're wrong. Not a here's my knowledge versus your knowledge. It's more of a, um, a term I used earlier, um, an ushering in of epiphany. So what I want this to do is spark some aha moments in the listeners of like, huh, that is, I didn't think that way before, or I haven't thought of that perspective, or even turn, turn the, turning the lens in on themselves of, oh, okay, I, I do have a perspective, don't I? What is my perspective? How did my perspective form? Is it helpful? Um, I, 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 so, so what we'll constantly try to do is remember the title, like I had said, try to, as we kind of get going into the weeds, as we undoubtedly will, we'll try to wind it back out and be like, how is this helpful to what we're trying to communicate here? So as we're trying to figure out what we're communicating, we will also be checking ourselves and we'll be trying to go meta on the conversation and we'll try to referee our own conversation, if that makes any sense. Um, Spencer, I think we should start um, and feel free to take as much time as you need to on it and feel free, feel free to expand um, or ask any questions to me. But you, what you were writing is essentially what is truth. Uh, yeah. I think so we should start there. There's a lot of things that we just take for granted as concepts, you know, as people, especially if you haven't uh, engaged in like a lot of philosophical um, literature or uh, been traditionally trained, which I have not. I just, this is a hobby. I'm just a guy. But the very specific definition of words and their connotations is really important to philosophy. And with sense making, the ultimate goal would to be arrive at some kind of truth, correct? So what is the actual definition of truth? And is it, can you even arrive at it? Like, is there an objective truth? And with our ability to perceive things, can we find it essentially? And I personally don't think that there is an actually objective, well, there is an objective reality. We just can never arrive at it because our human lens is flawed through uh, perception. Our perception is the rate limiting factor on if we can actually view reality. And since none of us are omniscient, we cannot arrive at it actually. But that should not actually stop us from trying to pursue it as 
diligently as we possibly could. So you see it in journalism. Journalists can never actually arrive at the concrete truth because they, like all people, are not omniscient. But their whole thesis and all their code of ethics says to arrive at the greatest possible truth that you can. So just that, I think it's a really apt thing to note because if you haven't thought about it, it's very easy to think, yes, this is true, this is not, I can definitely arrive at this, this is concrete. But I would like to say that it's much more fluid and not up for, up for interpretation, but um, you need a like a large, vast swath of data and perceptions to arrive at some kind of ubiquitous truth. You can't just really arrive at it innately. And if you look at the word in not such a concrete form, it really, I think, opens up the question of how do we arrive at a proper sense-making plan or do this better because it's going to take just a lot of brain power to do so. And what, what, what do you think truth is? Do you think you can arrive at, arrive at it objectively? Um, I don't know because it's, it's, it's instantly dissolved in different conversations and different, um, because we'd all have to have the same perception of reality and the same, I guess, upbringing in everything to have a, a common truth. Um, I think that truth, I mean, in, in truth is also an evolving, changing thing. It's not something that can ever be completely arrived at. It's, it's, uh, it, it, as our lives, as we are evolution, as we are biological creatures, as everything here is in movement and constant time, um, truth changes. So if we think of what truth was, um, back in Roman times, it's now different than what it is now, uh, um, it's as we dissolve old ways of knowing old belief systems truth changes along with that um i don't think that truth is something that we're trying to you know as a society discover like it's just already here it was on planet earth and now that humans are on planet earth we're gonna find the truth like it's already it's always been there um i think that truth definition changes based off of what subject you're talking about as well yeah because empiricism actually does technically arrive at some universal truths like laws of physics and whatnot or like two plus two equals four like these are empirically true but i feel like it gets into the weeds and it's way more up to perception and your ability to sense make when it is uh, more uh, social or sociological structures that are being questioned and the truth that is being arrived at. And yes, I do believe that it is ever-shifting. But I think that the loose, ever-shifting truth uh, makes the sense-making question and proposition way more difficult than, like, uh, 2 plus 2 plus 4, finding a math equation or uh, doing anything empirically. Because it's so open to being shooken up and open to different perceptions, and the constant pursuit of it must be must be had and you have to eliminate bias and dogma to actually do that because one of my favorite lines that i've ever heard is uh, bias and dogma turn intelligence to impotence Mm. so if you stop seeking out this truth and find facts and just hold on to them forever you will definitely not gain anything from that and i think it's just a lot of the sense-making problems really come from an inability to be flexible in such a liquid time 
of reality. Like, this is way more liquid than any other time we've ever had. Our, like, borders are dissolving. Transnational companies are going everywhere. Like, the power of states is dissolving. I mean, social media is allowing all of this to proliferate information just uh, at lightning speeds. So not being able to sift through that is a incredible problem that I do not actually have a solution for. But right. I don't think either of us have a solution for it. I think that, but I, I think so a lot of the problem is a lot of us assuming that our information is the truth. Yes. Like we, we hear a lot of fake news. We hear a lot of facts. We hear a lot of, um, and, and these things kind of bump against like, well, that's true or that's untrue. Um, and, and we're arguing those, we're arguing my truth versus your truth when neither of them are technically the truth, let's say. Yes. Um, so, so, so let's, Let's stay here with truth. I think that if we could bring in some examples of maybe something that we learned back in high school, like we, we are both um, raised Western culture. So let's say when we're learning about the truth of something that happened in World War II, we learn it from a book and they're like, this is true. But so um, perhaps you can bring in an actual historic example hereafter. But so what's written in that book, I read that book as a student, 15 years old. Okay, this Christopher Columbus did this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's true. It's true because I read it in the book. Well, there was someone who wrote the book, right? Um, they had their own perceptions of reality. They had their own experiences. They had their own information that they read, that they heard. Um, if you just keep following back truth, it's like, well, who told them that? How did they learn that? Um, I, I don't mean to unwind history, but history is subjective. History is, a lot of times when we're learning about our history, it's not always the history, right? Um, I don't know, is, is there anything in that for you? Is it, does uh, that... Well, yeah, that's definitely a good example of how like something that you can hold as true is not necessarily the truth, like an idea in general. So like there is, especially when it comes to cultural perceptions and uh, historical context, because... If you talk to an American and we think about World War II, you think that, um, you know, we won. Like, we are the reason, the deciding factor, and we did the fighting in World War II. But in actuality, if you look at any of the data or any of the act, like, any of the ubiquitous historical context from other nations, like, Russia actually did most of the Allied fighting in World War II. They had the most deaths. They uh, crossed over the most ground. I mean, yes, we dealt with Japan to some degree, but... You don't hear that here. Like, it's just, it is definitely highly up to perception. And that's kind of the problem because a lot of these things really just get uh, boiled down to narrative and bias, like, from a higher level. So if you have a population, like, it's in the best interest of whoever's writing that book to make the country that they're living in look really good, right? Like, the right. government assigns all of this, essentially. So that can cause a massive sense-making issue. And I just think that maybe to combat that, you need more information. Like I said, you need more more perspectives. And then also being curiously skeptic, being a curious skeptic. Because if you just, I think this is what happens a lot, is you see people engaging in a lot of news. And if you ever go talk to anyone or read anything about anyone who was like, did a propaganda campaign or has tried to disseminate anything that might be coercive, they just try to convince you more of what you already feel. They never try to change your mind. 
So it's just the ability to not necessarily follow that and carry on trying to get more inputs and maybe come to a truer conclusion, but never the truth. So, okay, so in a lot of these contexts, we have to be agreeing on a direction in which we're facing, agreeing on a, upon a direction in which, which we're going. So when in the history book example, you're trying to teach the student knowledge so they can better navigate the world, let's say, so they, so they understand why they should be proud to be an American, let's say. Mm-hmm. That's the, so behind truth, there's always a, um, agenda isn't the correct word. Oh, kind of though. I don't want it to get mud- muddied with all truth being propaganda, though. I don't want to... But all perception has bias. All perception has bias. That's helpful. Yeah. So... So... So, un- zooming out really quick. If we are... Any information we're trying to teach someone, any truth we're trying to communicate there is a reason behind it. There's a, this will help you in this way, or this is, this is helpful for humanity in this way. This is helpful for our group in this way. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm teaching it to you. And this is why it's truth. This is why it's helpful for you to believe it. Um, We're trying to stack. I believe that that perception definitely heavily relies on the, idea that whoever is disseminating this information is doing it in good faith and also wants something good for you instead mm-hmm. of having an ulterior motive, which I think really where we run into issues, especially with the ability to disseminate information as fast as social media will allow us to, because now there's not like the transmission model of communications is not so much in place and it's more ritualistic. So communication has kind of become performative and all mm-hmm. of these perceptions are an attempt to sway others or appear to others in your group to be like, hey, look, I share these opinions with you. I'm putting them on the internet. Now we can all be together and we can come together as a group. So I don't necessarily think that that's very altruistic, but it definitely causes a lot of division. And it's really hard to step back from that concept because once you decide that you're in a group and you hold all these ideals, uh, what are you going to do? You just keep performing and you, I mean, like your neighbors. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, they've got the two conflicting signs politically, and they just are bashing against each other. Like, that is performative. Right. Like, that's not, there's not it's a, a... signaling. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not a, so, so why would we signal, and okay, so I guess we'll back up, we'll say, why, why would we, why would we be signaling? But to preface that, um, I gave an example to Spencer, um, my neighbors are, there's one house that has Trump signs all over it. And then the house next door, their neighbors, um, they have Biden and, and Harris signs all over. And then bordering between the two, there's like a little bit of uh, like a couple trees and some grass area. Um, and they have a like stop the Donald. It's basically like a, hey, we're on the side of Biden and Harris, but we're also, this is kind of a sign that's like attacking the Donald, the, the Donald Trump people. And they kind of, they scooted that sign over towards the side of the Trump people. And to me, when I see this, I, I, I don't, I certainly don't choose either side. I just wonder what's going on here. I'm just like, why is it that this is how we're communicating? Why is it that of all things that are important out of human life, 
this is what we're spending our time to. This is what we're saying. I'm putting a flag on the ground. This is what I believe and that what they believe is wrong. Um, but, but so a lot of what's happening here and how we're going to lead this into social media technology is data's algorithm, um, our groups, our echo chambers, these sorts of things are feeding us things that, that lock down our own beliefs. So for example, in Portland, um, depending on if you're on say the left or the right, and that's the media that you follow, you don't see things that you don't want to see. So, uh, or, or, or the algorithms don't feed you things that you don't want to see. So there'll be, so let's say a riot in Portland and it'll say that, you know, it's the left rioting and they're the bad people, whatever. And you're like, what? Of course, like who wants that? They're destroying Portland. But then if you have left side media, they're showing right down the road, a couple blocks that same night at the same time, there's like a candlelight vigil with people singing and people coming together. So which one is the truth? We're just being shown two different things, two different things that are happening a block away from each other. But one is uh, feeding the narrative of bad other, and one is feeding we're good people. And and these two people are not watching the same exact news. So, how do you I, make sense of that? Yeah, I mean, well, you don't wh- honestly. Which one's true, right? Well, I would argue neither. Honestly, neither is the actual truth. Like, if you can't actually arrive with it, and I think that you, this is a slightly a pivot, and I apologize, but you said, you said the, just the word why, and um, I think that that really informs, like, why it's so easy to get lost in the weeds, because a lot of people don't, like, why am I believing this? Like, what is the thesis for me to even be fed this algorithm, or lean this way or this way? Like, what is my, like, what is the goal of civilization? Like, what is the goal of my life? Do I have, um, like, is it to spread the most human happiness and wealth? Or Mm -hmm. you just, people just stumble upon opinions. They pick a side and then they fight fiercely for it with ever asking or questioning why they even got there in the first place. Like, what is the deconstruction of the idea of, like, why do we have systems? Why do we have any of these things? You know, and... It's way easier to navigate all this climate and all this like perceptual untruth, truths, half truths. If you just have a core tenant that you can abide by that isn't a tribal tenant. And I think it's way easier to get sucked into all of these problems if you just are, I'm doing this performatively to align with this side, opposed to this is the reason that I believe these things and no matter what side it's on, which there's a false dichotomy, by the way, to boil down all political thought to left, right is absurd and no actual political theorist would ever do it. Mm -hmm. Do I actually want, am I actually believing these things for a reason or is it just because I've been told to? Right. So, okay. So I guess we have to come to, uh, there's a lot there that we can pick up on, but I guess even questioning your beliefs is a huge thing. So to where you can even get to where, this area of conversation where we're even trying to be like, what the hell's going on here? We have to, we're people who question our beliefs. So belief systems, how are belief systems installed in a human brain? You grow up and, you know, so a good example, a clean example that I think a lot of people can agree on is, is um, like kids being racist. So the, when kids are being racist, you see like a video on Viceland or something, and you see like a seven-year-old like saying the N-word or something. And it's clear that he doesn't 
really know what he believes. He just has been taught it by his parents or by the people around him growing up. Um, I think there's a lot of our belief systems that can be unwound by just saying, wait, why do I believe this? Who taught it to me? Who taught it to them? And is it true? Is it helpful as I'm going about my life? Is it helpful as I'm interacting with people that are different than me? Is it helpful for me to continue spreading this saying that it's truth or my truth? Um, what, what, what do you have? What do you have on that? So belief systems, I think that it, it's important to have people question their own belief systems. And I don't think many people, especially in our, let's, let's just, I'll generalize and say our small town, some of the small town mindsets, we don't actually question our belief systems. We don't question the information that we're given. Like the news station that you watch is the news, right? And I think that that's what we're butting up against a lot is we are at a time where it's almost detrimental to the future of civilization in a sense. Uh, that sounds incredibly intense, I understand. But if we're not able to question what we're hearing or question what we're... Because, because if I'm sitting here watching um, CNN, Fox, whatever it is, for six hours a day, and then later on I go have an argument with my, my, my bullets and my, my weapons have in that argument are the information I just learned for those six hours. Of course, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, aren't you listening to the same thing as me? Aren't you understanding the same arguments as me? We don't realize that that's a bias. That's a, our belief systems are getting poked and prodded. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's pretty interesting because like all this information is being disseminated and you will almost certainly find something that confirms your worldview because innately as a human, you just don't like, it doesn't feel good to really be challenged. Like this thing that you've been programmed with is just, it's your reality. So anything that, and it, more than not, it becomes part of your identity and to actually look in and be like, well, why? Like, what is this? Where did this come from? Why am I doing this? Is this even correct? Especially, I mean, you have the sunk cost fallacy. You see it in older people a lot. They'll be confronted with, well, facts. I'm air quoting facts or new information that is definitely, it's more concrete than what they've been provided before. But because they've spent their entire life believing this thing, to then turn around and look at the last 50 years of your life and be like, well, I was wrong. This thing that I tied myself was incorrect, and I may have done some bad things, said some bad things, been harmful to society actively because I believe these. Like, that is, your subconscious, will, is, it won't allow you to do yeah, it. It will reject that. So the question is, how do you refrain from getting there? And I think it would be to be innately skeptical from as young as physically possible because you, you, you're not your political affiliate. You're not any of these ideas. Like these are concepts that are not you. And in order for you to make sense of things, you, you lose, well, you lose the ability to make sense of things when you start tying yourself down. And I see it myself, like I'm a, a super leftist and I have to constantly fight myself from just knee jerk snap agreeing with things. Mm. Definitely. It's very hard, actually. And I'm super aware of it, and it's still hard. So what, 
identity is a good corner. I think identity is something we'll have to spend some time on. What is identity? How is it helpful to to the human creature? The the we, you know we're the thing that came after apes. However, that happened is up to up to speculation, I, I suppose. But like, how is identifying with group dynamics helpful to not only our survival, which is how it started, right? Like you don't want to be like suddenly you're with 150 people and you start disidentifying your, your, you're rejected from the group. All of a sudden your life is in danger. Now you don't have a promised meal. Now you're kicked out of the, the group, the commune that's been formed. Um, I, I, identities, let, let's linger on identities for a bit. Okay. So the, on a sociological evolutionary basis, the identity is helpful to determine if you fit into the in-group and then survive by assimilating in it. So if you can perceive the characteristics of the people around you from a young age and be ingrained with them, you're way more likely to have a survival chance and deal with this homogeny better. So it, I mean, you can look at religion. So religion, if you want to just look at it as like a sociological concept of order opposed to like a belief system it was really helpful for you not killing your neighbors you know if we both believe in this dude that cares for both of us and that's what tying us together like i'm not going to kill your wife or i'm not going to kill you or steal your kids or do anything really heinous because we live in a community and god is watching over us so it just creates innate order but that is being dissolved like just the ability to go seek outside of that and the isolation that uh, modernity has allowed us to engage in with the internet and uh, there's just a new sense of being able to redefine yourself by also fit into this like extremely individualist um, space and the power structures and tribal behavior that has lasted us up until Facebook happened and uh, we've been able to transmit ideas really quickly is just kind of crumbling in on itself. Mm. So people not like we're having an identity crisis as well. Everyone kind of is, and you're having a couple reactions to it. So you see some people see this globalization of the world and how everything's kind of be being intertwined into this like internet hive mind of homogenous or a heterogeneous um, human thought. And that's like, holy shit, this is frightening. Like every power structure that I've ever been inundated with and every idea that I've held really true is just being dissolved on the internet. So you react and you get scared and you tribe up even harder. And mm -hmm. you were really seeing that, like build a wall. What is that? Like I'm scared of others. We got to lock down. We need order because the structure of society that has prevailed for thousands of years is completely deteriorating. Right. And how do you find an identity in that? And then, but also not do that i guess is the question well so okay so we have i i, I try to always go like what what's the step before identity like like the one commonality that we have before our race before our gender before blah 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 any of that is we're humanity right we're we're one humanity and we seem to be loosening that identity like not keeping that we we, we don't have that identity uh, in the forefront of our mind or even the back of our minds as we're having these arguments we're arguing here's what i believe and what um i am owed because of my identity or what i have been what's been taken from me or what's been um y y you know whatever it is we're buckling down on sides of our identity 
that are unhelpful to the overall conversation, that are unhelpful to, um, to actually solving the problems at hand. We are diverting the attention of important topics by gripping onto our identity and arguing there. Um, and and it's, 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 it's blinding us in ways that we don't seem to understand. Like we have important people on important podiums who should be having important conversations and they're not talking about anything. They're, they're just arguing me versus you rather than us versus the problem. And so I suppose that, so maybe we have to say, how does identity get in the way of the future of humanity? Well, we have to start, stop separating on an us versus them level, you know, like borders are just lines that we've created to justify another, you know, like we, so many things, and this is, I don't really think it's a fault of humanity. It's just how we've survived. You just find the mm-hmm. in-group, you find yeah. the in-group, like this is how, what we're programmed to do. And it's going to take a lot of conscious effort from really smart people that are leading things to make this not happen anymore. Yeah. But, like, that, um, somebody that I know made a really offhanded joke about, like, some kid in Vietnam making his Nikes. And that, to me, like, the dehumanization of people that don't look like you in other places is, um, need, it, it just must stop because it just is causing a lot of innate suffering. And I thought that was such, like, it put such a microscope mm-hmm. under it. Because once you, once that stops being a person, like, we are never going to be able to coexist. And it, you see the political spectrum or uh, American politics are super revolved around identity in general because it's the easiest way to maintain power. Like it's power dynamics that are really causing this all to happen because if you can convince a whole lot of people that they're on this side and a whole lot of other people that they're on the other side, but those sides are actually really close and then Mm -hmm. they kind of fight each other, Mm -hmm. this manufactures conflict when... The actual problem is the immense coagulation of power in these few people that essentially agree. So I just think the perception is wrong of why we're mad. Like, I think that people are upset because of their material conditions. You know, life's really hard. Like, our economy and uh, our, the, the way that America does capitalism is really oppressive. We're overworked. We don't ever have any time to actualize. And I think this is by design. And our two parties insulate themselves so nobody else can get in. No new ideas get to get in. It's like this old bulwark of potency. And until we can kind of rally together and realize, hey, man, the power structures that have been set out in society, they do not work for any of us. And that's why we're all mad. Because if you ever go listen to anyone on the left or right, and yeah, they have definite differences and they have definitely large worldviews and what they care about is like their thesis is different if they've arrived at one. But ultimately, like everyone is suffering because of the system. Mm-hmm. And until we can make sense of that, come to the conclusion that your neighbor with the other flag or whatever is really not the problem at all and maybe figure out what his problems are, we're not going to be able to get through it. Yeah. Because we're being pitted against each other by old men that basically believe the same thing and don't care about any of us. And until we can make sense of that, it's going to be a very large issue, but I don't see an end in sight because it is, they control the media. They, I mean, the internet directly profits off of us division and anger. So I watch a Ted talk and fake news spreads 
five times faster and five times more than regular news. Mm -hmm. So how do you combat that? Like you would have to change the monetization scheme of the internet. That's the only way. Like we would have to get money out of all these things. Or how can we as individuals, as just average, average everyday people who just work jobs and they just, maybe they're not college edu educated, how do we upgrade their sense making so they can realize like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm my, my, my limbic system, my, my human body is being hijacked here. The small walnut almond sized part of my brain is being turned on right here and pointing me at a bad other. And then stepping out, wait, is that what I really think? Is that what I really care about? Of all the things going on in my life right now, in my personal existence, if I wasn't on the internet, my everyday, Monday through Friday, if the people I interact with, what I actually speak about with them, is this piece of information that's being fed to me on the internet, on Facebook, actually important to my life as an individual? I believe it is not most of the time. It's like, so, so, so how do we... So, okay, remember the topic here, sense-making. How, how do we upgrade our sense-making as, is, is, is it just in, in individual survival? So, so, why do I keep messing up with this word? Sovereignty? Sovereignty, yeah. yeah. So I, well, I think it, the problem is with that, I really believe that you are the only thing that maybe potentially can control yourself. I mean, there's a lot of convincing research on you don't actually have perfect agency over your life, but you do have some willpower to assert over it. And until, like, you can personally upgrade your sense-making and gain some self-sovereignty and, and, and remove yourself from these biases or maybe remove yourself from the propensity to be dogmatic, it's going to be really hard to actually sift through all this, this cluster storm of information that we were never designed to intake without coming out some kind of tribal, low-minded monster. Hmm. But and I the problem is with that is if you focus on the individual, you never get anything done systemically, you know, because it's going to be very hard to convince a 7.8 billion people to become self-sovereign, especially because the material conditions for a lot of those people are so backbreaking they can never actually end up being actualized. So I like how how do we how do we combat that? You know, like what it's it's going to have to come from the top down. Or you're, we're going to have to have a large grassroots movement to realize that this is a massive problem. And I really think that there's a market for it. You know, you're seeing a lot of divergent thinkers. They, I mean, they still kind of fall in the what, I guess what you would call a plan A, you know, work within the system. Mm -hmm. But they, there's a market, people are tired of it. People are tired of all of this. And I really think the longer this goes on, people are become more in tune with how much that this is polluting all of it. And we're going to have right. to change. See, see, I do agree because I think that and we, we've had this plan A, plan B talk before. I think that we, we're, we're being, we can feel the, the, the uprising, right? We can feel the, the unrest. We, we, we're mad at certain people. Like you're seeing more and more of the last, I mean, 2020 has been a good example of, um, you know, we see like the racial inequality. We see, um, the big powers that be like a lot of the, the hints at uh, child ped pedof pedophiles. We see a lot of people like, Whoa, that's wrong. That we're, we're, we're mad about that. We don't want these people who are in power to be abusing their power in the form of like, you know, child slavery, whatever it is. Those are intense examples, but, um, we're, we're taking to the streets 
you know, in, in America, at least, and in, in even, you know, in the UK and in certain other places, like there are more and more in the last couple of years, more and more people going to the streets. They're mad about these things. They're, ba- they're mad about BLM. They're mad about, um, uh, which, so, so it, unwinding it from identity, I think that how do we get to a place where we're pointing it at the right people? We're, we we have anger. I just don't think that we understand our anger is the thing. I I think that we're fighting things at such a low hanging fruit level because it's like what we understand. It's what we can conceptualize. Like this is what's wrong. This is this is the person that's holding me down. But we have to keep looking higher and higher and saying like, wait, what's what's the truth of that? What's the truth of that? What's the truth of that? And when we say things like systematic what does that really mean? Does that mean that the very beginning, the very start of how we organize this union, how we organize our, our society here, does that need to be revamped? Is it time for that to be not just broken down, but rethought of in like, how do we, as, as humans grow and our brains become more intelligent as we learn new information, how do we process this information and how do we because I'm not someone, I'm, I'm very, I'm very like, like peace, love, let's get along. But I also understand the need for, sometimes we have to take to the streets. Sometimes we do have to have some, we need to rip people out of chairs who are refusing to give up their spot, right? So how do we aim our anger correctly? Um, without sense making. I don't, I don't think there's, there's an answer there. I think we have to be able to properly know who is the enemy here. And it's not so much bad other. It's not so much, um, the, the enemy that my Facebook has told me is the opposite of my beliefs. It's the system that we have here is just at a place where it's ran its course. Like, let's say it's time for something. It's time for a rebirth of democracy. It's time for new leaders. Mm -hmm. Which, and that's a tricky word because we never even really have had democracy, you know. Like, What do you mean? So any consolidation of power is technically anti-democratic, correct? Like if we're looking at like a radical democracy as a definition, so you have a consolidation of power in corporations and the government, then like this is not actually showing the will of the people in any real facet, correct? Mm -hmm. So democracy, I really like to think about, I know this is kind of a pivot, but I think it's important. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's like water, you know, there's, it's, there's phases of it and like radical democracy would be steam. Like you can't really control steam. It just like happens all of a sudden you see like this big outburst, but the moment you put things in place to now contain that or keep it going, you ruin the essence of it. So it Mm. is something that must be fought for forever. And I, as I look at history, I realize this, we kind of go from this revolution, democratize, consolidation, tyranny. And we're just, you see empires fall from it. Like if there's this dysfunction because of our inability to step back from the systems that have been created and say, hey, there must be a better way to organize this. The people that run these things say that they're the best, that this is the best. Like, like people will say, oh, you know what? The American government, perfect. Like they, democracy, the democracy that we have is is flawless. We have all these texts, but without ever looking at the root of any of them, without ever looking at the root of capitalism, like, hey, is it like, are any of these systems actually going to bring us the most human ubiquity? And when you are fed by people in power, 
that these are the only way to do it. You'll never have any divergent thinking. And I think until you can really collectively sense make as like a group of people and remove yourself of bias and dogma and discern from a at least semi-similar thesis, which is definitely hard to come to, I do understand that, that these systems are one, finite, they're not going to last forever, and that we need to change them. I feel like that there's a human urge to just hold on to things that supposedly mm. work. And we must strip that of how we are if we're going to change at the rate that technology is making us change. So do you think that we can do this without a war or a civilization collapse? Because we look at history and we've seen... We, we, it, it's difficult, actually. I think that what ha something happens in a lot of our brains is when we learn about history, we read about history, re we read about the Romans, we read about um, just uh, other civilizations ending or collapsing or their reign coming to an end, whatever it is. We don't bring it into our reality here. We, we don't, we can't even fathom or imagine us being in one of those systems. Like we, that's how we live. That's how we form unions. That's how we interact and it's why we it's it's how it sets up the fact that we go to work and we get money and there's banking systems and all this complex shit when we learn when we read about history it seems like we're almost disregarding history we're doing something weird with history i mean you see these statues being taken down and stuff we're trying to rewrite history which is very weird that, that's like, like our, our problem solving when it comes to i think that there's something happening we intuitively or we there's a lot of us that feel like, oh, this shit is breaking. And we look at history, we don't say, oh, okay, what did it look like right before their stuff broke? How do we realize that we're there in one of those system things and not... So back to the beginning of what I just said, how do we get to rebuilding something new without a huge either collapse, without suffering, without war, without... I mean, because we're building up to the collapse of this thing is what's happening. Yeah, I will. Are like, we intelligent enough to, to stop that? I don't know. Collectively, it's kind of hard because, I mean, with the ability to transmit information, power structures get upheld way easier because all these people with all this much, all this influence, all this power are able to shove information in front of your face that is pro their power, essentially. Right. So until we can realize that the power structures that have been put in place are what is actually really the problem and that um, people can come to terms with the fact that maybe the myth of American excellency and that we are this is the greatest way to ever order society may not be true and that there always is something better. It's going to be very difficult, but it's I don't know how we're going to get past it. So um, I, I think of I'm not sure if this is helpful. I think of like nationalism and patriotism. I think um, us being, there's, there, there's a weird difference with, and I don't know the exact definitions of either of those two. There's this weird definition or d difference in, we should be very proud of where we're from. It should be like, our, it's, our, it's our culture, right? Um, we, should, we should care about our, in, in our community. Um, but, we shouldn't say that it's the greatest, that that's, that's mm -hmm. unhelpful. Well, so saying that it's better than the way other people do things is almost an ir irrelevant thing to say. It's not, what are you comparing? Why are you comparing it? It's, we're mixing up our pride with what we have with it being better than other things. Yeah. Does well, that ring anything? 
regimes in general or uh, governments really profit a lot from a blind, hyper-nationalistic population because they can justify basically anything they do. I mean, look at every war we've been in since Vietnam or since World War II. It's been unjust. It's been imper- It's been imperialism. We're just going for power and monetary gain, and we really, because of this hyper-nationalism, are super blind to the atrocities that America commits, like in the Third World, the Global South. Like, we just do a lot of damage to the global economy in general, and we cause a lot of suffering. And until we can erase those imaginary lines and realize that these are people too, it's really easy to look at the government as this force for good, this American excellency myth. Right. And but how do you unwind that? I mean, the propaganda machine is so potent. So I, I, this is just such a tough question. It really is. Like, how, how do we really make sense of everything while everything in the world is completely falling apart? Not in, like, a catastrophic sense, but in the way that we used to do things. Like, sovereign powers, nations are no longer, like, this bulwark of order anymore. Like, with this hyper-communication and the way that the economy works in a global fashion, we're going to have to find a situate, find a way to situate... In, our, in the world and make sense for ourselves that involves others outside of our country. It's just going to have to happen. Right. So how do we, hmm, yeah, because we, we still try to apply a political lens to even that, like, a, um, I don't know if it's exactly the definition, but for like globalism or um, like, like where people are so against UBI, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that undeniably where we're at as a humanity on a planet I think that we have just advanced to the point where we have to work together as a globe in some sort of weird sense, but not just through the lens of capitalism. Not just how do we, it's not just trading agreements. It's, it's, I mean, we have, we have global warming and we have, um, we have issues that I think I've used this example in, in one of our conversations before we have in Game of Thrones. You've watched Game of Thrones. Yes, I have. So we're fighting over thrones and we're trying to like handle things in a, in a democratic view. But they we have the White Walkers coming, right? The White Walkers being um, an existential threat, an existential threat. Right. So how do we realize that the way that we're handling things is actually ignoring the existential threat and just we're throwing it out the window like step one into our conversations when we like call each other names or we define ourselves as red or blue or any of those things and the existential threat doesn't give a fuck if we're red or blue or left or right or uh, we're proud to be from this country or proud to be from that country like everybody dies here Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think we're going to have to lean into intellectualism a lot more. There's a lot of people that lean into anti-intellectualism, so like a blatant disregard for like empirical science, which I understand you can insert bias and dogma into science, but it's like way more resistant than any other structure that we've ever had, mm-hmm. ever. So when you as a power structure have the ability to say, hey, global warming's not happening, and now you create a populace that thinks that as well, so now you get that 50-50. So now we can't even agree on the fact that there is an existential threat just because communication is so quick. Yeah, that's a huge thing. We can't agree on the fact that there's an existential threat. That there's threat. a problem, yeah. So that's, I think that's where we really get into the weeds of division is because you you have agitators or interlocutors, or in, interlocutor, yes, somebody that engages in a dialogue is the definition of that word, but that 
because that they have corporate interests that go against dealing with this existential threat, convince a subset of the population that it's not happening because that subset of the population is way more um, vulnerable to believing that because it aligns with their worldview. So now you having your worldview weaponized against you and the world is dealing with massive existential problems. I mean, global warming, global inequality. Uh, we're having a lot of exploitation in the global south. Uh, it's just there's like a lot of human suffering that's happened. And because you've clung so tightly to your worldview and haven't been able to seek out any other perspective, you now are completely immunizing, immunized to seeing that there is an issue. And I think that that's what the problem is, is once you come to terms with the fact that you have a system that is, you think it's the best and you don't want to change it, it's bad. Like there can always be something better. And I think that we just get really stuck in our ways that way. And it's very right. easy to convince people like a system that's technically working for them that they in their regular life, because your perception is not reality. You know, like you, the anecdote of your life is not line up with how the world is. If you can find that person that is susceptible to not believing these big problems is really easy to weaponize it against them until we can make enough sense of all of this to as objectively as physically possible look at what the, what is humanity really facing like what are these big issues where well, it's going to be very hard to deal with them yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to think of where we're, so i feel like we so far we've sounded we we've definitely we sound very left um which is is okay um but i'm trying to how do we continue to appeal to just any human on a human level how do we explain things like perception mm -hmm. how do we how do we let, let's even maybe unwind even farther um um let's talk about even reality like what what is our reality and how do our perceptions change what our reality is and how is again that points to truth like how is that more or less truthful than the person next to you so I mean, even going to five sense reality, like our, like what we're doing here, uh, just how a bat has his, his two ears, um, uh, the way that he sees and navigates the world, a bat's reality is formed by echolocation. He uses this ear and this ear, bounces sound off walls, and that's how he, he navigates where he's going. We have our reality here by our five senses, our, our touch, our sight, our hearing, our smell, whatever, um, I think we uh, unwinding it back that far and then our upbringing, our culture, our environment that we grow up in, um, our, the, the different systems in our body being feeling safe or unsafe. How do all of these things create our perception? Um, I know that's incredibly unspecific. I just left you with a shithole of, of trying to answer a question. That's not really a question, but, um, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to remember our, our overall goal here, sense-making, right? Mm -hmm. um, how is seeing how we all have different perceptions helpful to our sense-making and what, what really is perception, I guess? It's, uh, I mean, well, you use your five senses to engage with reality and you internally reference that to experiences that you've had in the past and what you deem is correct based on what you've already believed. So... In it was really self-referential so that's why perception is not reality because you will usually see what you want in life and in most information and you'll seek out what you want but 
Oh, I gotta think about this for a second. It's a very tough question. Until you can come to terms with the fact that your immediate perception and reality is not actually how the world is in a ubiquitous total sense, very hard to combat that in general. So, like, with truth not being this complete, absolute, deductive, firm fact, it's very hard for society to come together and agree on a lot of things. And I don't really know how to remedy that. But because if we go look back at the thesis statement for what we want out of all these structures, and I think it really comes down to being able to question all of them in general. It's going to be really hard to align our human effort if we can't come to terms with what we want out of humanity as a right. as a collective conscious species. And the differences in perception, it, it brings diversity, and that's very good. And I find this to be a really difficult contradiction because diversity is unequivocally good, and all actual empirical research diversity brings way more good than it brings bad but having a homogeny of ideas makes order much easier so it, i guess it's like what do we do that's i'm very I, this is very hard to answer i'm really stumbling through this so i apologize no i mean i i set you up for an impossible spike i guess i'm trying to think of how can we, how we can unwind it with examples i guess i was thinking um something that popped into mind was the 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 movie Tarzan, actually. Tarzan grew up raised by, raised by gorillas, raised by monkeys. Um, when he comes into reality with like proper people, they're drinking tea, they have etiquette, these sort of things, they're flabbergasted by his actions. They're like, wow, how, what? You're eating with your hands? You're such a, a, a barbarian, whatever. Um, these... Tarzan doesn't know that what he's doing is wrong. Okay. He doesn't, because it's not inherently wrong. It's just when he exists within their proper culture, it's, it, it's improper. It's not, but what we, but what we do here, this might be leading to something. What we do is we say bad other, we say that's bad or good. So, um, Tarzan doesn't do the things that we do. So he's bad. He can't participate in what we have going on here. Um, I don't know how to really relate that to. I think that I think that we've hit a a strange, almost dead end, of of what we're trying to explain. So how do we how do we in continuing the conversation how do we unwind, where we're at, and go back to what's important sense-making, um, explaining bias. I really, so just with the sense-making question in general, it's just hard to see so much division, even though I cleanly fit on one side of it just in general. I came to, you know, this is a little bit of a pivot, but on the way driving here, I kind of realized that the way that I look at politics sometimes is I think that I've got my in-group, and we have a definitive goal. The goal is to bring the most human ubiquity and uh, stop the stop suffering and exploitation. That's the goal. You know, we want to 
dissolve power structures so people are not living in any kind of tyranny and just genuinely as a collective support each other. Like, stop the individualism. We have come to terms with the fact that we need each other to live innately and we don't need to engage in all these systems that are archaic and exploitive. And then there's another group of people that are hyper-individualistic and they think that this, um, this system is really good, that it's the ultimate proving ground. And I've always kind of disregarded them as like, like another, you know? Like uh, it's easy to dehumanize these people because you feel like they're going against your thesis, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if this is what I believe and I believe the hu- like this is what I want for humanity and this person believes the opposite – you do the math and you say, this person doesn't want this for humanity, which may be true. I don't know. I don't know their thesis or if they've come to one even on their own, but it's really easy to dehumanize people like that. And so as I was thinking, I'm like, no matter, even if I get what I want, these people still need to be served by society. You know, they're still, they're not going to go off on some ship, you know, we need them right, to be right. involved in this. But how do we get to the ubiquity of wanting the same end goal? Hmm. That's true. Yes, because it's not like how do we prove to them that what we want is more important than what they want. It's how do we continue this human experiment and continue coexisting, I guess. Yeah, how do we accommodate everyone? And I really think it comes down to being able to maybe not even agree on the facts or agree on the end goal, but be able to actually discuss it outside of this performative like battle of tribes okay right reinforcement that we see on the internet because you see all these all like all with the twitter wars whatever whatever you get on any social media you see any arguing it's people are not arguing to stomp this other person well they are but they're arguing to stomp this other person in front of people they already agree with Mm -hmm. because hey look i owned xyz you know yeah it's um it's a reinforcement it's not um it's not going forward. And I know it's so cheesy because it's like no left, no right, but forward. But really, like it's, as much as I don't like it or do like it, people that starkly disagree with me also participate in society and I really care about their well-being. I right. genuinely do. I just think that their ideas aren't going to bring them that and my ideas will. I don't know if that's everyone's thesis. And I don't know if people actually care about others, some people, but, and I don't know how they came to that. That is programmed as well. But... How do we accommodate all of this and realize what the real problems are? So that is yeah. the ultimate sense to be made is uh, we're all in this together right. as a massive collective. And how do we come together to deal with it? So what, so what is, we can point out what is unhelpful to this and some things that are unhelpful. I'd think of, you know, terms like um, so-and-so owns blah, 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 or libtards or uh, um like like name calling so so basic conversation basic problem solving um you see this in uh we we all know probably a someone who's in a relationship who they're they're on and off again and they're always arguing and they get to these mean ends of arguments sometimes i i mean not not everybody does this but sometimes we'll see people who are couples and they love each other very much and we know they love each other but they get to these edges of conversation where they're both so angry and they're and they're just so they just start attacking each other. It's, 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 yeah, it's kind of like this, like your mom's fat or like, okay, big nose. Okay. Like we start attacking each other on these really low level, really low consciousness, like weird attacks. And that's where we're meeting each other at to discuss important conversations. 
I think, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to get just stuck in politics, but we look at the, the recent um, debate. We're, we're forgetting what a debate's for. We're, we're, we're trying to like, we end up, they end up just insulting each other the whole time, Joe Biden and Trump. They end up just attacking, um, here's what you did wrong. Here's what you did wrong. Here's, um, that at one point Trump like attacked Biden's son or something like that. And then vice versa. It, it just, it gets to the point where as I'm watching it, I'm like, how is any of this way of conversation helpful to what we're trying to do here as humanity? What is the point of this? What is the point of the debate? So we choose the best leader. What's the point of a leader? So we have someone who uh, gives us all a better life, a good life, and you know, uh, lo- lowers the chance of suffering for people in our in this society. Um, and you keep climbing up, and it's kind of just like we all want love, right? Um, we are di- digressing our conversations because of this like slam culture. Um, that social media seems to be clickbait viral slam culture. Yeah. And so, so, okay. So, so what's happening, social media and our, our today's media, the technology is it's really fueling a shitty way of discussing. It's really fueling a, a mean way of talking about other people who are different than you. And it's incredibly unhelpful. It's childish. It's immature. It's, um, it's, it's, it's throwing dirt on what we're trying to do here, which is prosper, not have suffering, not like none of, we, we, we don't meet on the places we agree. We find weird places where we can insult each other. And, and it's coming to this schoolyard bullying version of news media headlines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, as much as I say I want cohesion, I do think actual disagreement and criticism is super important for actually coming to a end goal that is good. Like this debate and these, you shouldn't attack people. Ad hominem is like a fallacy, like it's unaccepted in debate. But if you, if they have an idea that has blatant problems and you have an idea that's going to fulfill the same goal but do better, that's good. You should say that. We need to actually have, smart people need to actually be having debates. Right. Definitely. And we can, the, the being divisive is fine as long as we're still coming to, like, it's, I, I guess we just need the same end goal, mm-hmm. you know, and it's how do you convince a bunch of people what the same end goal is going to be? You know, what do we want out of society? And I think it's, it's hard because nobody even asks that. Like, why do we have a government? Why do we have any of these things? It's huge. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why? Nobody asks that. Why do we have a government? I yeah. Like that. What is the role of the government? Why do we order society in this way? And how do we deconstruct it to maybe come to a ubiquitous end goal right. where we all do the best instead of, you know, fuck you. You know, I'm getting what I want because not even because I necessarily want it, but it's because of what you don't want. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's this own the lib, own own the alt right kind of thing where yeah. it's like I'm only taking the stance because it's going to piss you off. It's not because I actually have an end goal with it. And we get trapped in this. uh, I actually hate the culture war because it takes away from the big systemic issues like uh, inequality, just in general, uh, racial, monetary, like these things that create human suffering, just having a pissing match with each other really takes away from dealing with that. And you can even take a step further to existential problems. We spend all day with our dick in our hands yelling at somebody else that's honestly really similar to us. 
And we're never going to get there. And we're never going to ask our leaders to get there because they're using the media to make us fight against each other. Yeah. And I, I mean, so, uh, the the social dilemma on Netflix is a good example of kind of the the wrong things that are being fueled, like the uh, our, our addictions to being, um, uh, what's the word, uh, affirmed to our, our addictions to validation. Um are are leading us farther down it's like oh okay that gets the clicks feed them more of it that gets them on the on the on the platform longer feed them more of it the our our systems are being hijacked in this way so first step is knowing we have to have a large swath of the population realize this and i was talking about this with my stepfather you know you have this pendulum right you get social media comes in and it swings and swings and swings and it disrupts society a lot. I mean, we can either realize at some point in time that this is so destructive for the fabric of reality and our collective conscious and what we're trying to do as a society, even if we haven't decided on that, there are some general themes. We want people to just do well. You know, everybody wants to feel good. Everybody wants to be secure. We either, you know, it swings back and we realize, hey, this isn't it. And this goes out of fashion until they realize that they need to monetize it differently because it really is the money that is the issue. I find money to be a massive issue in most of these problems, government, social media, it's the way it's monetized. Or this ball falls off this handle and we dive deeper into it and no sense is made and we self-destruct because at this point it's either self-termination or elimination of the way social media is. Mm -hmm. There's no in between. We, you cannot, we cannot carry on making sense in the way that we're currently doing or the lack thereof. It's just, I, I think that that documentary was terrifying and it was also enlightening and I'm glad that it caught so much traction right. from everyone, like anyone that I knew that saw it, like my stepdad stopped using social media. Yeah, and he I, is, I think it actually had, had a compounding effect. I, yeah, I it's think. important. It's important that we have dissenting opinions that are not politically charged that just completely ridicule the way things are because mm -hmm. you, the, well, I mean, everything's innately political, but Every single levy against structured society is really heavily politically charged, which is really hard to get around, but things like that are not. It's like, hey, we're all suffering from this. Like, this has to change. Or we're never going to make sense of anything. Yes. What we used to have is never coming back, but we can find a way to go forward better than this. Because indefinitely, we must live together. Yeah. You can't just mm -hmm. eliminate people that don't agree with you. Yeah. It's not about the, the left winning or the right winning. It's about we have a place where people of differing uh, opinions all exist. How do we make that work? I think we get caught up with my side versus your side, but it's like, no, dude, both sides must coexist or none of us exist. Yeah. And it's easy to get into the weeds, though, because if you're like, you know, if this is my thesis and this side doesn't want this, that's bad. You know, I think that my ideas are going to bring the most human happiness and joy. And, and there's somebody that disagrees with me wholly. So it's so hard to not get trapped into it. Well, so, so can we say that what's more helpful for the prosperity of humanity is people thinking about people, not just thinking about themselves, but thinking about all of us. Yeah. I'm not an individualist. Really. Okay. I, I feel like a paradox because I, at one hand feel pretty deterministic and I didn't get to choose nature or nurture in my life and I was born and everything that happened to me was a cause and effect of that and how much agency do you really have over the real world? But I also feel 
like I'm the only thing in my life that I can control and I must master myself to affect reality and have my agency over the world in a way that's positive. Mm. But on the other hand, politically, I'm a collectivist. If my neighbor does better, I do better. You know, if civilization does good, I do good. Like the rising tide lifts all boats. Like it's getting away from the the competition of the way we structure things to come to a cooperation. Like we all labor for a reason. It's because we need things as a society. It's not just to make money because we're just generating wealth. We're not laboring to help everyone like how it's always been. We've stepped away from the agricultural like once feudalism started, we stepped away from this, you know, you have a farm and you feed the community and we come together and we work on this. And it's a, there's a great sense of um, pride in it. And once we got to a, like a capitalistic economy, you now are in direct competition to make somebody a lot of money that you don't, you don't really care about. You're so disconnected from this. So if we can reorganize labor and the way we structure all of this to where if your neighbor does good, you do good. And everyone believes that. Mm-hmm. And these people in Vietnam are just as important as your neighbor. We can actually come together and have more ubiquity, but it's getting people there with all the propaganda machines, getting people to realize that this is the goal of civilization right. is for us to prosper. So how do we, how do we encourage people to think as individuals? How do we encourage people to question everything that they're listening to, question everything they're reading, question the people even closest to them, what, what they're saying, question their parents, question What's the incentive for people to ask, huh, do I really believe this before going out to the streets about it um, and going and, and buckling down on our identities? Is, is it becoming familiar with, um, I mean, I, I, I think that mindfulness has helped me an incredible amount with, with, with this area, kind of just observing my thoughts and like, what am I thinking? And then I'm able to question them, separate myself from my thoughts and then see like, wait, where, where does that come up? Is that an influence that of a video that I watched earlier? Is that influence of something that I read? Am I reacting because my identity feels threatened? How can I separate my um, ego identity in the culture from what I actually believe in and also apply to it this filter of also, is this helpful? Is this, is this, going towards the same direction that we should be all going towards, which is humanity continuing. Yeah. I think that just being super aware is really important, but it's really hard. I mean, in the West, we're super tied to identity in general. Like our culture is just very, very centered around a strong sense of self, which makes it way harder to combat this. Cause you see like Eastern countries don't really have a problem with this. Honestly, not like we do. I mean, they have division and they have authoritarians and like bad governments, but they don't have, this fierce internal turmoil and i think just being able to remove yourself from ideas because they're not you and analyze Mm -hmm. them and just to to ruthlessly seek truth regardless if you like the answer right because ultimately if you come to a realization or there is a study like a real empirical data that proves you wrong that doesn't change the fact that it's true I mean, yeah, their media literacy is a big problem too. Just being able to like actually analyze media, which just takes education. So you're going to have to like work on it. But trying to construct a reality outside of your Twitter feed, mm. realizing that right. this, this, this thing that you are not look that you're looking at is not reality. Right. It's definitely not. It's even less reality than what you see in your daily life. You know, this is like a curated, constructed, clickbait, scrolly blue app, you know? 
yeah. that is just made to hold you there and it's going to confirm all your biases and taking a step back and realizing that is definitely the first step but I mean self it's so cliche but just self mastery being you must be the ma- you're self sovereign you yeah. got to be the master yourself or you're going to fall for all of these things I, I think a huge thing to point out and that is self-mastery and and self-actualization and just trying to become a better person, whatever that might mean to you as an individual. I think a lot of what we need to understand as individuals is you can change. You aren't just the way that you are. We always try to define ourselves. Well, this is the way that I am. And this is exactly what I think. It's like, well, is the way that you think helpful? Is it harming you? Is it harming other people? This is what my dad thought. So I think this, yeah. And that is the death of, I mean, once curiosity dies, that is the death of growth. Yeah. Really. So, so we need to bring back that childlike mindset of, you, you know, we all have like nephews and stuff, or we have just younger people in our life who we've seen. They just ask, why? What's that? Why? What's that? We need to go back to that, I think, as adults, because we're faced with this crazy amount of data with, with the social media era, the internet era, the whatever the hell media is now is we need to upgrade our, our sense making abilities so we can actually make sense of what we're taking in because we're just taking it in and then fighting people who don't take in the same stuff as us. Yes. You got to find out a why too for yourself. Like why do you believe the things you do and what is the end goal of your life and everyone's life collectively? Mm. So, so what's the goal of humanity? Like massive questions. Like what's the goal of humanity? Like what is the agency I'm going to thrust upon the world to make it better? Right. You know, it's so easy to get in the mindset of just generate money. Did, and then you forget, like, I I have human excellency somewhere inside of me that is definitely more than just this rat race money monster. Right. Like, I could be here to do something better than someone else could. You know, like, I am a na- I'm uniquely special, and there's something, there's a niche in the world that I can fulfill if I get actualized enough to really make a difference. And getting away, I mean, it's, I know it's way harder than it sounds, but... I guess it just comes down to self-actualization. Set your goals and ask why a lot. Yes. You got to question all these structures. You got to set your goals for the agency that you're going to push over the world. And I don't know, man. I I think something that that we can end on here is something that helped me was learning about like what are ethics and what are my ethics? What are values and what are my values? What are my values... And how did I learn them? Have I ever really thought about them? What could be my values that would be helpful to me going forward? Um, philosophy hugely like changed changes my perspective. Um, it it makes me I, I, it points really within a lot, which is sometimes painful, which is sometimes uh, makes you see parts in yourself that you don't like, makes you th- see things in the past that you've done or said that you don't like. But I think that when you're able to stand up, say okay. I'm, I'm willing and choosing to change my beliefs about those things now. I'm willing and choosing to, here going forward, I'm going to do these things. And I think that learning about ethics, morals, values, um, a lot of the things that I say uh, throw the baby out of the bathwater when a lot of people just don't really believe in religion now, a lot of people our age. Um, there's a lot in religion that was only kind of taught in that area that like school doesn't really touch. And I think if you're not, in school any longer, I invite you to 
study these things, values, ethics, morals, philosophy. Um, they teach you about yourself in ways that you didn't know existed. Um, and, and you, you study philosophy heavily too, Spencer. Do you have anything to add to that to anybody who maybe they're, maybe we sparked something in them. Maybe they're like, I don't know, I've never really questioned my beliefs that much. Where could they go? How can we begin to change the way that we think? Uh, Socrates said that uh, the end, the uninspired life is like not living at all or something synonymous to that. And until I know I always, every time I come on, I hammer that people should engage in philosophy. And I guess I don't give a lot of actionable um, tips on doing so, but it's the, there is wisdom. Like the, the way to live a good life and the way to analyze reality and just concepts in general has been thought about since people started writing. And there is, it's just already out there. All you have to do is engage in it. And I would highly recommend it. It has changed me forever. You become more worldly more ethical, you care more about people, and you understand the nuance of just a lot more things in context to ancient wisdom and modern science if you can engage in these abstract thoughts. And it's definitely is difficult, but it has been the most helpful thing for curating a worldview that is um, helpful and guiding me through what I need to do with my life more than anything. And I think when you can come to terms with that, sense-making is a lot easier because we have a goal. There's yes. a there's actionable steps. You have a goal in mind. You understand reality better than you did before because you're now questioning it and you've seen other perspectives. And it doesn't it it inspires divergent thinking as well because you're engaging in yes. all these all the greatest thinkers who have ever lived, who say different things, but they all have excellent points. And being able to just have this amalgamation of all these ideas and kind of figure out what's going to work for you and what you think reality is, can be really important. Yeah, just for, just for all of humanity. And I really hammer home education. Like you just got to continue to learn about yes. stuff because when you stop learning about stuff, you become the unchangeable old man who has all the opinions of the past. You know, you mm -hmm. must be fluid just like the times, you know, we, there's been more change in the last 50 years or since the industrial revolution than there ever has in human history. And if you can't remain flexible as the times are, you are most destined to have a worldview that is not excellent. Unhelpful. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, I, I, I think that's a good place to end it. I think, uh, so what we'll try to maybe assess a summary, um, on an individual level, not, not, not amidst the podcast, but I think that we've, um, exhausted our, our minds by trying to figure out what we're even trying to figure out here. I think that we did well. I think that we, um, did what we could. And I, uh, like I said, I think this is going to be a multiple part kind of series on the Junkyard Love podcast because I believe that it's important. I believe that um, there really is a sense-making crisis. There's a sense-making emergency and we all have a personal responsibility. And I don't know, I mean, I, a lot of people who listen to the podcast are um, our age, a little bit older, um, and I think that a lot of us see what's going on and we are kind of like, what the, what the fuck is happening here? And upgrading our sense making and understanding why it is that we think what it is that we think is going to be able to help us gain more intelligence, more knowledge. And then in turn, the people in our families, the people who we work with, the people who we interact with, the ways in which we interact with each other, we can ripple effect this out. So, um, so I'm going to just yeah. drop a couple of philosophers that, uh, might be interesting to people. Great. 
So there's a Stoic philosopher named Seneca. I really like him. He was a former slave um, in Greece or Rome. I can't remember, but he is his best student, wrote all his stuff down. But that's really uh, helpful for self-mastery, just Stoicism in general. I mean, there are flaws to every ideology, and you must realize that when you engage in philosophy, but it has uh, helped me quite a bit. For analyzing power structures and just tyranny itself, there is a modern philosopher, probably the last 80 years, her name is Hannah Arendt. She wrote a book on tyranny. It's just, um, it's very prolific and good. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche wrote on a lot, a lot of topics, human suffering, um, what is reality, like just big concepts. He was generally like a Renaissance man of philosophy. I don't actually condone or agree with all the things that all these people have said, but they are very good perspectives mm-hmm. uh, for different time periods, different eras, and different parts of your life. And I recommend checking them out. Yeah, definitely. And then a good way to check them out, like don't think like, okay, do I need to enroll in a, in a class? Do I need to go to the library and get these books? Like do any of those things if you'd like. But nowadays we have YouTube. YouTube to me is I'm always pointing people. I know it's overly obvious. I know it seems like this like silly little thing because that's where you watch uh, like Ryan unbox his favorite toys and your kids watch the shark, shark doo-doo, whatever, baby shark. Like YouTube is full of information and it really is something that like do not underestimate youtube there's so many different schools of thought on youtube and there's a lot to learn and you don't have to actively sit there with a pen and paper just put it on and learn something new and expand your knowledge there's plenty of places uh philosophize this after school um uh the stoa uh i don't know there's just tons of places on youtube being curious is free being curious is free. So is YouTube. So that goes pretty well. You just got to engage in it. Yeah. So so check out some things. Literally type in, go to YouTube and type in philosophy. And if you like the video, subscribe to them. Look at their other videos. Just follow your bliss and upgrade your sense making. Um, listener, take care of yourselves. As always, love yourself. Please stretch. Please drink some water. Um, Spencer, it's been great. I, I love and appreciate your friendship, man. Thank you for embarking on this very difficult, very strange Um, corner of conversation that we're attempting to have here and i hope we somehow get a little further on it in the next part and do our best jake thanks for having me yeah yeah peace out that was so difficult that was the hardest